0: Good morning. All right, it's good to be here. Uh, So, last summer, I spent a week in California with my family, and with the way we all booked our flights, I ended up having to stay a night in LA alone. I checked into what turned out to be a really sketchy hostel right by the airport, and I planned to go on a little adventure to West Hollywood Boulevard, like the area West Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard where all the stars are, kind of thinking that that would be safer than staying in the hostel for the afternoon. (laughs) So, without cellular data and without a US phone plan, I got a couple screenshots of the bus route and set off on the hour and a half trek downtown. And once I got there, I had a great time. I looked around, saw some cool stars, saw Columbia Records, all these neat places, and got some dinner, and then decided to start heading back to the hostel before it got dark. Unfortunately, from here, the adventure went seriously down, <laughs> downhill. Uh, and to make a very long story short, I spent the next hour racing around Hollywood Boulevard trying to catch a bus that never seemed to come. It was getting really dark, really fast, and the panic level was beginning to rise as I was realizing that I was stranded alone in L.A. So I got directions several times uh, from people I knew I could trust because they were in uniform. My dad had taught me that much. (laughs) And... Every bus stop though that I tried, the bus wouldn't come and I would wait for a few minutes and it wasn't coming so then I would think, well maybe I have to try this next one. So I would try a different one and finally I made it to a stop that I thought was the winner. And I relaxed and waited. People around me were waiting for the same bus and the panic level started to drop as I thought, okay, this is it. This is, I'm going to be fine. And I waited and waited and waited. The arrival time of this bus came and went, and there was no bus. So at this point, where I was relaxed, I'm no longer relaxed, and I'm actually pacing on the sidewalk at the bus stop, speaking in tongues. (laughs) So trying to muffle the speaking in tongues, because I am still a little afraid of what people around me thought, but I am pacing too terrified that this bus is not coming. And so I begin plotting as I'm pacing of how I somehow could call a taxi, of which I didn't know the number and didn't have a phone plan. I was thinking, well, I could race up to that street and go to the Starbucks. And as I'm plotting all of this and freaking out and praying, a taxi drives up and stops five feet in front of me at the stop sign. Now, this honestly was a miracle because in the entire hour that I had been racing around, there I didn't even see a taxi close by. So this was a real gift from the Lord. And I took that taxi back to that hostel, and I don't think I've ever been so relieved in my life. I did take a picture of the taxi number in case the taxi driver decided to abduct me and they needed some proof on my phone or something of where I was. (laughs) Needless to say, the hostel didn't seem nearly as scary as what I had just been through. It seems like life is full of these moments, moments in which we're waiting for something, For God to rescue us from a situation or for one of his promises to be fulfilled. Maybe we're waiting for the next step forward in our job or or direction in the future. Or for healing. Maybe we're waiting for a spouse or for a child. And maybe we're waiting for a loved one to get saved. Or for that money to come in. And the longer we wait, the scarier the situation becomes. And it's as if we're straining our eyes trying to catch a glimpse of that bus, the answer that we need, but we see nothing. And fear and panic begin to grip us, and they creep in, and we start to doubt God. And our minds become consumed with the what-ifs. And sometimes we race around trying to solve our own circumstances. So what are you waiting for this morning? What situation are you facing in which fear and doubt have been creeping in? King David faced a lot of these situations, and thankfully, he wrote about them for us. And so we're going to read about one of them in Psalm 27. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 27. It was too long to fit on the PowerPoint, so sorry about that. Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon a rock. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for this word. And I thank you that you speak to each one of us in your own way. And I ask this morning that every word that comes out of my mouth would be yours. And that you would um, give us open hearts and ears to hear you in Jesus' name. So what do we know about this psalm? Well, we know that King David wrote it but we don't know when it was written or under what circumstance it was written. What we can tell from how he writes and what he says is that David was facing some pretty frightening and challenging situations. And you know, as much as we would love to, we cannot avoid these types of challenging situations in our own lives, these times of waiting. Life is full of them. And if we don't learn how to wait well, And trust in the Lord, we're going to waste time running from bus stop to bus stop, panic-stricken. We're going to miss the people on the sidewalk whom God wants to minister peace to. And we're going to miss the privilege of peaceful fellowship with Jesus. We may even become so focused on the bus that we expect to come that we miss the taxi pulling right up in front of us. And this is easy for us to do when we get discouraged and we start going down the tubes in these times of waiting. So today, I want to talk about a practical way in which we go with the gospel. This is the series we've been going through this summer, Go With The Gospel. And the question is, how do we go with the gospel when it feels like we're in it, at a desperate standstill, waiting for God to act? And I think David teaches us how to do this in Psalm 27. And the first way we go with the gospel in times of waiting is seek God's face by remembering. And David shows us two ways that he remembers. And the first is he remembers who God is and what God has done. In verse 1, right away, David shows us how to walk in the good news of Jesus when we're waiting. And he starts by actually preaching the gospel to himself. And he does this by remembering three names of God. Three names that speak directly to the dark, scary situation that he's going through. So the first name he chooses to remember is light, which means luminary, lightning, happiness, bright, clear, day, morning, sun. And this is the first time light is actually used as a metaphor for God. And here, the word light is specifically used as an answer to fear and despair. And David chooses to remember this word because he recognizes that all this world, well, this world and all it has to offer is darkness. And so he chooses to remember that God is the light that overcomes his darkness. How often do we refer to our challenging and frightening situations in life as dark times? Oh, yeah. University one, that was a dark time in my life. (laughs) But how often in those dark times and afterwards do we remember that God is our light that is way bigger than those dark times? That he is not only our light, but what this word is, is our day, our bright morning sun, our happiness. The second word that David remembers is salvation. The name of God is salvation. Freedom, deliverance, prosperity, rescue, safety, welfare. In saying the Lord is my light and salvation, David is actually acknowledging that he himself is inadequate and unqualified. He is nothing without God and he cannot save himself. He can't provide for himself and he can't escape this situation on his own. So, in saying this, he remembers who God is and who he, David, is. And he humbly aligns himself with the truth of the gospel that we are nothing without God. He remembers that God plucks us out of darkness and saves us, regardless of what we have or haven't done, regardless of who we are. Finally, he remembers that God is his stronghold, his defense, his fortified place, rock and strength. So he remembers that God will keep him and defend him. In just three words, David preached the gospel to himself. Instead of wallowing in self-pity, fear and anxiety, David spoke out truth that built faith and hope in himself. Faith and hope in a time of darkness and waiting. And this brings him to the point of being able to say this Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So, what is your situation? When you're facing darkness and times of waiting, do you go down the tubes? Or do you preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself of who God is and what he's done in your life? Though I lost my job, or though I'm still childless, though I'm still single, though he or she is sick, or maybe it's though I am sick, fill in the blank, what's your situation? How do you finish the sentence? Though I will be confident. A little while ago, I spent some time remembering. And in my situations of waiting for God's promises, I've honestly, especially this year, felt a lot of hopelessness. And so a little while ago, I asked God to speak to me about what I've neglected to remember. And he told me that I have forgotten all the times he's provided for me. All the times that he promised and came through. And so I sat down and wrote a list, and the more I wrote, the more I remembered. And at the end of this huge list, I thought, how on earth could I possibly doubt a God who's done all of these things in my life? And I was taken from a point of fear to to a height of faith. At another point this summer, I uh, was feeling really anxious and overwhelmed at everything going on and everything I had to do for A course I was taking and speaking at a Bible camp. And so I decided to do what David did. And I picked three names of God that I needed that spoke to my situation and reminded me of the gospel. And so I picked helper, anointer, and friend. And I started thanking and praising God for who he was and those three names that spoke to my situation. And by the time I finished, I was full of faith. It was actually in that prayer time that I was deciding whether or not I was going to speak today because I was like, Lord, there is no way I have time. There is no way I have the capacity to prep after a week of doing seven other messages. And so I started to deal with my own attitude and fear and I started to speak out faith of what God was saying to me and by the end of it I was like okay yeah let's do it and here I am (laughs) only because of Jesus we often see these tough situations as us waiting for God but in reality God is also waiting for us in our seasons of waiting God is waiting for us to lean into him And he's waiting to remind us of all of the amazing things he's done. But we have to give him the time and the room to do that. So we remember who God is and what he's done. But David also shows us this, to remember who we are and why we were created. In verse 4, David writes that God invited him to seek his face. And he responded by seeking God's face. We were made to seek God's face. We were made to respond to him. And at the very core of our being, we were made to worship him. We were made to dwell in the garden with the Lord, to gaze at his beauty and to inquire of him like David writes. And if this was the only thing that David sought after, then it has to be the most fulfilling thing in life. And if this is what we were made for, then it means that in every situation of our lives, we are to worship. We are meant to surrender our hopes and our expectations, kneeling before God in awe of who he is and everything he's done and everything else should come second. But sometimes we lose this perspective. And I think, or at least I do, and we get so focused on the next step and the next goal that we forget why we're here. And God's been speaking to me about this recently too. I'm 25, and it seems as though everyone my age is either married, close to marriage, having kids, moving away, or doing big things in ministry for God. And I'm at this weird stage of life where I finished school, I've started my career, I'm a year into it, but I don't feel fully fulfilled. And I have dreams and promises that I'm holding on to, but I feel like I'm constantly waiting for something from God. And sometimes I've actually found myself thinking, God, is this really it? And so the 24th wedding invitation in three years comes in the mail. Yes, I'm not kidding. 24 Another baby is announced, another friend moves out, and another couple announces that they're moving to do big things for God. And I'm just here planning lessons, marking and chilling with my parents at home on a Friday night. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> That was literally this weekend, Friday and Saturday night. And honestly, I love my life. Obviously, I love my parents, and they're awesome. Um, And I do have a social life. I'm not hard done by. Don't feel bad for me. (laughs) But the waiting is still hard, isn't it? No matter how much of a social life we still have, no matter how many cool things come up, we're still waiting. And one day, God spoke to me and reminded me of what he made me for. And I saw a picture of all these like rows of tables and chairs all around these, these tables in heaven. And there were a couple people sitting at one, and they were eating, but there were a lot of empty chairs. And God spoke to me out of that and said that those chairs were meant to be filled with people he wanted to touch through me on earth. And I was so shaken by this revelation that I had been focusing so much on this next step and that next step and what am I going to do in this and that I had forgotten what i meant to do here. I teach over 70 kids during the week, each of which could be sitting at a table in heaven partly because of me. I meet people every single day who are just waiting for an invitation to that table. And if I'm straining my eyes so hard for that bus that I expect is going to come, I'm going to miss the whole reason I'm here in the first place. And what's interesting is that this shift in my perspective in that moment took me from a, a place of hopelessness and despair to, again, a height of faith and hope. And that little chunk of time I spent with the Lord in that moment was actually more satisfying and fulfilling than anything else I had experienced that week. We were made to worship Jesus. We were made for what he's called us to do here on earth. And other people's timelines don't matter one bit because we're made for him and the timeline that he has for us. And out of worship and and out of Jesus flows everything else at the right time. So in these times of waiting, your own times of waiting, what are you forgetting about God? What names do you have to remind yourself of? And what are you forgetting about yourself Are you going down the tubes or are you going with the gospel? Well, maybe you've actually been taking time to remember God's names and remember his goodness. But have you ever noticed that you can be remembering and praising God for his wonderful things one minute and then the very next day? And honestly, realistically, sometimes the next hour, you feel the exact opposite. I've experienced that multiple times, and honestly, it feels like these challenging situations are really up and down, aren't they? What comforts me a little bit here is that David experienced this too. In verses 1 to 3, David is remembering God, and he's in faith. Verses 1 to 6, he's just recounting How amazing God is and how, yeah, he's in the midst of darkness, but he's confident and he's pumped because God's going to come through. But suddenly, in verse 7, he cries out to the Lord for help. Suddenly, his whole tone shifts from praising God to actually pleading with God not to turn away. And it's as if doubt and fear have crept into David's mind and heart again. So how do we wait well and continue to go with the gospel when fear creeps in again? Well, I think remembering is just a constant process that we always have to keep doing. Um, But David shows us something else to do, and he shows us that we need to pray. So the second way we wait well is by praying, pouring our hearts out to God. David fights his doubt by spending verses 7 to 12, pouring his heart out to God, praying for deliverance and help. He pleads for God to lead him and teach him. And he says this, God, you told me to seek your face and here I am responding to you. The fear is pounding at my door and I need you. Don't leave me here. Don't seek. Don't hide your face from me. You have every right to, but please don't. You who have helped me in the past, be my help now. Teach me your ways, guide me, and protect me from my enemies. That's a desperate prayer. And I think the key here is that God told David to seek his face. So first, God actually invited David to draw close to him. To pour out his heart to him. God invites us to do the same. He invites us to pour out all our thoughts, all our fears, and all our frustrations. Second, God told David to seek his face and not his hands. God's face, seeking his face means fellowshipping with him, not looking and reaching out for what God can give us, but talking to him, sharing what's going on, asking for help, and listening for direction. David never actually prays for God to end his situation. He does pray for help, and he does pray for escape from his enemies. But first, he responds to God's invitation and says, I'm seeking your face. He first prays for God not to hide his face, to experience God's presence, because that's his number one priority. He prays for God to take him in and lead him, to protect him. And these are prayers of seeking God's face and not his hands. Like David, we need to lay it all out on the table. Crying out, if that's what it takes. Instead of praying to get out of our situation, we need to pray for God to dwell with us in our situation. We need to pray to be changed as much as possible through our situations. Yeah, let's pray for God's will to be done and let's pray for what we need. But let's first pray to see God's face. Let's first pray to experience his presence in such a beautiful and tangible way that everything else is peaceful. Because we can't just get out of every situation. What would the point of that be? But we can pray to dwell with God and meet him in our situations. Like David, let fear drive us deeper into experiencing God. Let it drive us into an awareness of how much we need Jesus and let that be it that fear does. And let prayer flow out of that revelation of our need for God. This prayer, along with remembrance, is what fills us with faith and hope to endure the challenging situations that we face. So our church uh, has had a 24-7 prayer furnace. Well, we call it the prayer furnace. It's the little house. For 13 years, and this year I had a two-hour slot every Monday. And in those two hours, I spent time with God praying, listening, reading, singing, and I can honestly say that every single time I have spent time thanking Jesus and pouring out my, all my thoughts and fears and frustrations and prayers, I have left feeling encouraged and full of faith. And consistently, I would struggle with the same doubts, even sometimes that night or especially that week, and I would go straight into the same prayers the next Monday, only to be filled with faith again. God is faithful to fill us with faith. And each time God has encountered me, and though not all my situations have changed, I have been filled with joy and peace over and over and over again. And this is how we go with the gospel in our dark times and in our times of waiting. We remember that our God has saved us and will defend us so we pour out our hearts to him. We get vulnerable, seeking his face only. To wait well, we remember, pray, and repeat. But there's one more thing that David teaches us through this song. Once he's finished pouring out his heart and praying for help, he finishes, actually, with a charge to both himself and to anyone else reading or listening to the song. And he says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so the third key, I think, to waiting well and going with the gospel is to wait. Yeah, the answer to wait well is wait. And I'll explain. The word wait actually means to bind together, to entwine. So often when we think of the word wait, we imagine passively sitting there, right? Inactive until something out of our control happens, like waiting for the bus. However, David shows us here that true waiting, how to wait well, is to wrap ourselves around Christ. To spend time with him, to listen to him, to hear his heart and his thoughts. It's actively spending time in the dwelling place. Like David talks about, inquiring of God and gazing at his face. Those are active verbs. What do you typically do when you're waiting for something? Back when I was little... My sisters and I used to accompany my parents on their errands and I vividly remember waiting for my dad on numerous occasions at the bank. Kids I think are really blessed these days because of online banking, but back then, (laughs) those lines were epic. And we used to sit in that car for so long. And I remember, Lydia and I especially would play this game. We would pull out the church phone book because, of course, we had one in the car. And we would play a game. So one of us would read out the names of the kids. And the other one, without looking, would have to say not only the family name, but also the parents' first names. Yeah. Now that was a challenge when you were only ever allowed to call them Mr. and Mrs. So and so. Needless to say, we were pretty actually awesome at it. And I don't know if we could still do that today, but I think maybe. Nowadays, though, I've noticed that instead of pulling out a church phone book, because that would be a little weird, my instinct when I'm waiting is to reach for my phone. And I'm pretty sure everyone else does, or at least most of the people I see in line. If you look around, the next time you're standing in line... Look at what everyone else is doing, and chances are you will see a number of them on their phone. When we have to wait, we distract ourselves. Now, that's helpful for your kids when you're busy doing something and you give them something to distract them. But it's not really helpful for us, is it, in our relationship with God? We distract ourselves in general when we're waiting with uh, social media, news articles, emails, or other productive tasks. And how often do we do the same when we're waiting for God to intervene in our situations? We distract ourselves from the pain and the fear and the disappointment and worry with movies, family, friends, Netflix, social media, music, busyness, exercise, honestly, anything we can use to distract ourselves. And are these things bad? No, not necessarily. But we often spend more time distracting ourselves with them in our waiting than we do sitting at Jesus' feet and dwelling in his presence, bringing him all of our pain, fear, disappointment, and worry. And instead of getting rid of these nasty things in our lives, we distract ourselves so they start to pile up in our hearts so that in a moment when we're alone and undistracted, we feel the full force of them and they knock us down in fear and hopelessness. Honestly, I am horrible for this, especially when I'm alone. It's like... When I'm alone, all my thoughts catch up with me, and often I just really don't feel like delving into them. So I distract myself. I have a lot of really good distraction techniques, and many that I need to get rid of, but one this year that God spoke to me about was Instagram. Now, I don't think Instagram is bad. I don't think every person needs to give it up. I'll preface this with that, but it was bad for me. I would spend my downtime looking through Instagram, scrolling through, and by the time you finish, you're like, wow, I just spent half an hour looking at other people's lives. People that sometimes I don't even know. And so it was a great distraction in my time of waiting until I got off the app, until I'd exit out, and I would feel this flurry of tension and comparison. I would actually feel so unhappy thinking about how everyone else's lives were moving on so beautifully and I was supposedly stuck in the same place. And the sad thing is, it's a deception too. It's all what we think is moving on and what we think is happening, but really, the person that I'm looking at is probably looking at all of our accounts and thinking the exact same thing. So instead of wrapping and entwining myself with Jesus, I wrapped myself up in other people's lives, waiting on and for them, not God. So in the winter, I temporarily deleted my personal account, and I can honestly say that I have had way less tension in my life because of it. I've still got a long ways to go, but Jesus has proven to me that when I choose to wrap myself around him, I am way more fulfilled, way more satisfied, and way more at peace with where he has me. And this is what going with the gospel is all about. So what about you? Are you distracting yourself? Or are you entwining yourself around Jesus, swapping out your fear For his faith. Think back to that situation that maybe you were thinking about at the very beginning. What is God making you wait for in this season? Are you waiting well? In times of darkness and waiting, are you going down the tubes or are you going with the gospel by seeking his face and remembering? Praying and pouring out your heart out to God and waiting by entwining yourself around the Lord. As a church, it feels like we have been waiting for a long time for God to move us and expand us, doesn't it? It was more than five years ago, about five and a half, that we had that pancake breakfast at a service at Transcona Country Club. God had started speaking to us about expanding, and so we were considering buying that building as expansion. And since then, it's felt like we've had a thousand ups and downs and changes in the plans. We've had so many words from God, so many prayer meetings, and so many meetings in general. So many times where it's felt like God has just been silent And even forgotten us. And then we have people moving away. Doing amazing things for him. And we're we're thinking even more. Whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't feel like expansion, God. We've been waiting for a long time. And now, half our land is finally officially sold. Praise the Lord. And we've bought land in West St. Paul. But we're still waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for God to finish the good work that he started. And we're waiting for him to sell the rest of this land. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to go down the tubes in self-pity, cynicism, apathy, impatience, and fear? Or are we going to remember who our God is? the God who moved the entire Israelite people group across the Red Sea, eventually into the land that he would promised them. We have proof that God does it. Are we going to remember who we are? the church that has been called to worship and pray, acting as a gateway for Jesus to enter this city from whichever location we're sitting at? Are we going to pray by pouring our hearts out to God? Are we actually going to go to prayer summits and stand with each other? Praying and standing with each other in, in, in prayer, asking for Jesus to come through. Are we going to get up and pray together? Because God wants to move and He's excited to. And are we going to wait by entwining ourselves around the Lord, seeking His face, not His hands? and growing in intimacy with him individually, but also as a church corporately. I want to finish by reading a few verses of this same psalm, but in the Passion Translation. Here's the one thing I crave from God, the one thing I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. In his shelter, in the day of trouble, that's where you'll find me. For he hides me there in his holiness. He has smuggled me into a secret place where I'm kept safe and secure, out of reach from all my enemies. And here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave. Be courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep On waiting, for he will never disappoint you. The gospel is good news. And the good news is that wherever the darkness, whatever the darkness is, Jesus has overcome it through his death and resurrection. The good news is that he is in control and he has a good plan for our lives. The good news is that. However long the wait is, God promises that it's worth it and that he will never disappoint us. He promises that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And the question is, are we going to go with this gospel in our seasons of darkness and waiting?